Woo, he's worthy. Amen? Amen. Amen. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. I had a church member send me a, uh, I think they call them memes. It's a picture supposed to tell you something funny. And it took a meme from the movie uh, Titanic. Titanic, yes. And it was a meme of the old lady at the end of it talking about that's been 84 years ago. And they said, I couldn't bypass sending it to you, Jeff, because that feels like when we started Exodus. <laughs> and I said back to them, I said, yeah, but the story is just so good. And to that they said, yes, it is. And so we uh, continue in the book of Exodus. Today we're going to cover the 10th commandment. Now, we're not completing the book of Exodus. Actually, if you look ahead, Exodus has 40 chapters, and we're in chapter 20. But I expect Exodus to pick up its pace quite a bit, but we're not completing Exodus this morning, just the portion of Exodus that contains the Ten Commandments. In just a moment, we're going to read the entire Ten Commandments section of Exodus 20, because I think after you read all ten in peace part fashion, Every now and then, we need to go back and read the whole thing and allow God to put the puzzle all the way together for us of what he was saying through the Ten Commandments. But before we do that, let me just read. You don't have to stand for this. We're going to stand in a minute. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, commandment number 10, reads just like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. St. Thomas Aquinas said this. He said, covetousness is the root of all actual sins. Warren Wearsby said that covetous people will break all of God's commands in order to satisfy their own desires. So as we continue to take this high view of the Ten Commandments, think about this for a second. As we look at all of them, we're getting ready to read them together. But think about these Ten Commandments. The first and the last of the Ten Commandments deal with a, what's in our heart. And the other eight commandments, two through nine, focus on the outward actions that begin in our lives when we do not allow God to correctly position our heart toward him. So commandment one and commandment 10, heart issues that bookend action issues that occur in our lives when our hearts are not right. So with that in mind, let's stand together and read Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 to 17, which is the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, picking up in verse 1, and it says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. 
but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was reading that this week, all of those verses, God kept reminding me things that he's taught me about commandment one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. I've so much enjoyed our time studying God's word through these 10 commandments. So I want to make sure that we fully understand before we get really going what it means to covet. You know, it's not a word that is used often, but it is a very powerful word in a negative sense. The word covet means to desire what belongs to another inordinately. Now, that's what you get when you read up in the dictionary. But I'm not always that smart. And so I get what it means to desire what belongs to another, but the word inordinately sort of caused me to go, I need to look that up. Inordinately means with not with proper or reasonable limits, unrestrained, disorderly. So the word covet means to desire what belongs to another without reasonable limits or restraint, which means that you will want what they have and you will do whatever it takes to get it. Another definition, to desire what belongs to another culpably. And about this time, I'm so glad I had my dictionary handy right there. I looked up culpably. The word culpably simply means deserving blame. So to covet means to desire what belongs to another in a way that causes you to deserve blame. Coveting is a passionate longing to possess something that is not yours. Think about it this way. I like this. It was, it was, Coveting is wanting things that God does not want you to have. Wow, that one blew me away. Because see, the God that we know is worthy. The God that we serve is sovereign. He knows his purposes and his plans for us, and he knows who he wants us to be around, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to have, and how we are to serve with him. So it, it just, it struck me. Coveting is wanting things that God does not want you to have. Another thing I saw about covet, it is the intersection of greed and envy. 
Now, we've got a lot of crazy intersections in this town we live in. Some of them are very dangerous. Some of them are very concerning. None of them are as dangerous as the intersection of greed and envy. You see, greed is the excessive desire for what is not your own. And envy is personal sadness that we experience at the sight of another's success or goods. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Did you notice, in, I said in the Ten Commandments that number one, God says, nobody before me, that's a heart issue. Coveting is a heart issue because it's not an action. It leads to all the other actions. Examples of coveting are plenty in Scripture. But let me just give you two or three quick ones here. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve's desire to be like God is coveting. We know how that turned out. In Genesis chapter 10, Lot and Abraham, they've grown, their companies have grown to be so big that Abraham and Lot, they decide it's time to go their separate ways. And Abraham says, Lot, you can have whatever you want. Lot looks and he sees brown and wildernessy and he sees green and good. And he likes what he sees, Scripture says, and he chooses green and good. But if you go and read that Scripture, it says, even though that's where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And if you read in Lot's life, that desire led him in a really bad place. 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you go there, you would read about a man named David and his inappropriate desire for Bathsheba. We know what that desire drove him to do, and then to do, and then to do. John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus is talking to the people. They've just come away from the miracle of feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus multiplied and fed everybody with the few loaves and fish that he was provided. And Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 26, he says, you're not following me because you believe me. You're following me because you want what I can give you. And he was talking about the loaves and the fish. Now, if you want to turn with me, you can. This one's a good example that stuck out to me. Matthew chapter 19. If you're using that pew Bible, I'll give you a hint. It's on page 1,135. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to give you a summary. I'm going to read a little bit, give you a summary of a man called the rich young ruler. Remember, we're trying to make sure that we have a great understanding what coveting means and what it does. So if you get to Matthew chapter 19, you can look at verse 16. I'm going to read verses 16 to 22. This is about the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19, picking up verse 16, says this. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, that would be Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he, the rich young ruler, said to him, Jesus, which ones? And Jesus responded, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to go, be perfect. If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Church, I'll tell you, when I was reading this, it stuck out to me and maybe you'll see it for the very first time with me this week. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what commands am I to keep? You'll notice that Jesus quoted five different commands directly from the Ten Commandments. Do you notice he said in verse 18, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. I think that's five, six, seven, eight, and nine. You know what he didn't tell him to do? Do not covet. It's not there. And I started looking at it, I go, why would Jesus leave that one out? He was so complete and so thorough, but you realize we're talking about how covenant is a heart issue, and Jesus was attacked. This man wanted to know what he needed to do, and Jesus said, well, don't do any of these things, two through eight. The man said, well, I've done all those things. And Jesus said, okay, let's get to the heart of the issue, right? right? right. And he said, go sell everything. And then come follow me. He said, okay, let's make this a heart issue. And the man obviously had a coveting issue because he held on to all of his stuff while he let go of Jesus. If you want to turn another place with me, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 on that pew Bible, if you want to go to page 251. Now, you don't have to use the pew Bible, but I can sure get you places faster. But I've also marked mine. I've got mine marked in pink up here too. So, uh, But Joshua chapter 7, as you're turning there, we meet a man named Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Now, just to give you a perspective, we are talking about the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. They've been there for a number of months, and they're going to be there for just a little while longer. But in Joshua chapter 7, we have fast-forwarded almost 40 years into the life of the children of Israel. When you get to Joshua chapter 7, they have entered into the promised land. Jericho has been delivered by God. You remember, walk around, walk around, walk around six days in a row, and then on the seventh day, walk around seven times, scream, shout, break the pictures, and the walls come tumbling down. God had told them leading up to this, and he says that when you go in, everything of value in Jericho is to go to the Lord's treasury. That's what he said. You can go and read that. So look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Jericho's done everything, or everything happened to Jericho, just like God said. Verse 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, this hurt me just a little bit because I realized that I might be hurting you just a little bit. Do you notice what happened? Achan, one man. Achan took stuff. 
But scripture recorded right there in Joshua chapter seven, verse one, it should have said, and God was really mad at Achan. But it doesn't say that, does the church? You notice it said, and God was really mad at Israel. What that tells me right there is when I covet, when I want things that God doesn't want me to have, I hurt you. I take you with me. You're going, Jeff, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't, Jeff. You know, I know, I know why you want to know it doesn't me back. Because you're going, because you're getting ready to say, and when you covet, it hurts me and everybody else. That's what God's word's saying right there, right? God said, Achan did it, but I'm mad at all of you. So let's read about this just for a, a hair longer. So Jericho's been capitalized. They've taken all the stuff and they put it into the treasury of God, except what Achan took. Now we find out in a minute, spoiler alert, Achan's got it hidden under his tent in the ground. It's time to go conquer Ai. And God says, let's go get Ai. And the people go and look and they go, Ai is little, Ai is small. There's no reason to rile up the whole army. Send two or 3,000 men and we'll take care of Ai because God is good. And they send them there, and Ai has a good day, and 36 Israelites die, and the rest of them run away, and they run back to the camp, and they tell Joshua what happened, and Joshua falls before the Lord and says, God, what happened? Why are you doing this? Why'd you let this happen? And a paraphrase you can read in Joshua chapter 7. God says, get up. Get off your face. Your problem is not with me. There's sin in the camp. And even God in that moment didn't say, go get Achan. He said, your problem, Israel, is that your problem, Israel, can't fight and be victorious when there is sin in Israel's camp. Again, God is saying, Jeff, when you covet, you hurt the people that I have placed you in responsibility of. And when you covet, you hurt the people in your life as well. So through a process of elimination, Scripture teaches us, we're still in Joshua chapter 7, that God leads them from tribe to, to family group to family group to specific family to determine that Achan is the guilty individual. Now, let's read in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20 and 21. They've now called Achan to account for himself. And it says here, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Achan said, I saw it. I wanted it. And I took it. And Achan had heard all about God's expectations. It's not like we're thousands of years from the Ten Commandments. We're not even 40 years from the Ten Commandments. And God judged him harshly. 
He judged Israel. Israel lost the battle, lost 36 men. Don't ever think that your sin is only your sin and that the impacts are only on you. When you sin, you cause other children of God pain. But God judged Achan harshly. You see, Scripture says that he, his entire family, all of his possessions, and all of the stuff he took were all stoned and then burned. This coveting church, it's a big deal. So let's talk about the impacts of coveting on the Christian life. I'll give you some scriptures. I've got them written down here, but you might want to write these down in your notes so that we can study in the afternoon and in the days ahead so that we become more in line with what God wants us to do. But one of the first impacts of the Christian life when we covet is that it chokes out the Word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 says, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, choking the word, and it becomes unfruitful. When we covet, we are taking our heart away from God and putting it on what we want. And the word of God becomes ineffective in our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this about idolatry. It says, therefore, to put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you know when you want the things that God doesn't want you to have, you are saying, God, I want them more than I want you. And you've created an idol that comes between you and God. Not only does it choke out the power of God's word in your life and create an idol in your life, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 says that it leads to even more sin. Here's what it says. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, shall we shall be content. Verse, verse 9. But... Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. See what it says right there? Once that fall started happening, that temptation became a snare, many foolish and harmful lusts, and it drowned them. Destruction, sin just takes over a life when we unhook our hearts from God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, destroys the one who covets. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Church, we need to understand that when we want what God wants for us, we, what God doesn't want for us, we do not want what God wants for us. We are saying, God, you're not in charge of me, I am. And God says, well, that eternity, you might be putting at risk. You see, because God's word says in many places that you can know that you know him when you obey his commands. It's not a works-based thing. It's an outcome of a changed heart. We talked about in Sunday school this morning how we can know our relationship with God. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 shows us not how covetous not just hurts us, but how it destroys others. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Do you know, I bet if we could have an opportunity to talk to Achan just before the stoning, he might say something like, you know, I never intended for it to become like this. I just thought it was something small that nobody would miss. I thought surely God would not mind. Yeah, I heard the rule that we're supposed to give everything to the Lord's treasury, but I thought in this case, it was just a little bit compared to everything. Church, that's a lie from Satan. When we step away from what God calls us to do, we are showing that we have a heart issue. Now, recall that we have positioned coveting as a heart issue that drives or causes other actions in our life. I've stated this. When we are after what we want, we cannot be after what God wants for us. Coveting, another definition, is not trusting God to provide for you. Coveting is thinking that God is withholding from you. Psalms 84 verse 11 speaks exactly to that. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Not only is coveting going to separate you and bring destruction into life, but God says it's the exact opposite. If you will seek what I want for you, the stuff that I have planned for you, that I will provide for you, will be so great that you will not be able to handle it all. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So a quick way to determine areas where we covet is to ask ourselves this simple question. What things in my life am I not content with? Where in your life are you not content? With what in your life are you not content? Let me give you a couple strategies to fight that discontentment. First of all, love God sufficiently to be content with what he gives you. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I don't know about you. Let's talk about me for just a second. But when I stop and realize the sinner I am, when I stop and realize that God knew me as that sinner 
yet he loved me anyway. And that not only did he love me anyway, that he took all of the appropriate steps to give me the opportunity to be made right with him through Jesus at no cost of my own. He promised that when I came to know Jesus, I would be forgiven, I would be redeemed, I would be righteous, pure, and holy before him. I could have the abundant life now, I could have a full life, and I've got an eternity waiting upon me. He says, I'll never leave you, never, not once, not for a moment, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Church, when I start recognizing what God has already given me, how in the world could I want more? Do you know if God never does or never allows another day in my life, another good thing, another healthy moment, if God never allows another one, I am already severely more blessed than I can ever deserve. So you want to fight covetousness? Love God. Love God more, and then love God more, and then love him more. But not only that, love your neighbor. You see, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How do you fight covetousness? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Now, I just made the statement just a couple minutes ago. When we are after what we want, we cannot be after what God wants. So I ask myself, what does God want? What does God want? You know, I read in Scripture that God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a specific plan for you. I have a purpose. He told Jeremiah before Jeremiah was even a big boy prophet. He was just a little boy. He said, listen, I've had plans for you. You'll go where I tell you to go. You'll say what I tell you to say. He says, I have plans for you. That's what God wants. He wants to, for you to trust him enough with everything in your life that you will allow him to reveal his plans to you and for your life. But not only that, God has a specific provision, not just plans for us, but he has specific provisions for us. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God. And God says, and then I'll take care of absolutely everything else. Psalm 119, verse 38 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. God says, listen, you can trust me or you can trust you. And I've seen your life. You're not trustworthy. 
But do we really believe this? Do we really believe that God has a plan for us? Do we really believe that God has the ability to provide for us? Do we really believe that he will not withhold from us what we want? Do I really believe that? You see what I believe? Not what I know. What I believe is what determines my behavior. Coveting is a heart issue. You either believe that God can take care of you and will take care of you, or you don't. I was given a great example this week that just rocked me that I want to show you. I hinted about it a little bit on Wednesday night. You see, as you know, for a few years now, we've been seeking to support and help start churches in Brazil. Joel and I went not that many years ago on just this fact-finding time. If you remember when we were gone and we went and met with the IMB there and Brazilian nationals there about helping them. And we've uh, given money. We've supported specific people. Pastors started churches there. We've given funds to help construct churches and training facilities in Brazil, up and down the Amazon area. And I want to show you a couple of pictures that we received. So turn your eyes to the screen. Now, church, this occurred on August the 28th. Today is uh, September the 12th, so we're talking about 15 days ago. This is eight people who recently made public professions in faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, now coming forward to publicly proclaim their faith and follow in believer's baptism. Now, I'll tell you, the man in the front with the green and white, that's Faye Zhang. He's on your prayer list, absolutely. God is faithful, amen? amen? And Fajan, he's the one that we interact with the most. He's preaching and teaching to them. And the guy in the blue shirt is uh, Altagine. He's also on your prayer list. We pray for him. And they have been using the resources that God has provided to them to preach and teach the gospel and that people in the Amazon in places that you've never seen before are coming to know Jesus and making professions in faith. Here's a statement that Faison made. Now, it came to me in Portuguese, 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 and then I understood one little phrase, and then Portuguese, Portuguese, Portuguese. And then I had Joel sort of turn it into English for me. <laughs> it said this, caption on these pictures. These new believers are from the new church plant in Orishimana. Church, we're familiar with that. This is the area where... First Baptist Church are recognized as helping initiate the work of God there. Church, can I tell you, that's what God wants. Makes me want to just empty my pockets and all the pockets of this church to help people come to know Jesus. Amen. You see, God has a purpose and God has provision. And if we will but trust him with all of our heart, and give to him as he lays on our heart. We'll see what he does. Church, that's what God wants. Look at the second picture. Same situation, different angle. Same eight, same phase down, same altogene, but then you see a group of people in the middle and you see a group of people on the right. Not only does God 
want those people to come to know him that are being baptized today. God wants those people in the crowd that are gathering. They might be family, they might be friends, or they could be strangers walking up. And God wants them to come to know him too. Amen? Church, that's what God wants. In Brazil, that's what God wants. But you know what God wants? He wants that here too. Church, there's nothing that we should hold back from God because God has the power, the purpose, and the provisions to us if we will just give him all of our hearts. He'll tell us what to do. He'll tell us how to do it. If we are willing to believe that God can and will change lives through Jesus if we yield ourselves fully in every way possible. So my simple reminder or question to you as we close, will you trust his plans for you? Will you trust his provisions for you? Because I always like to find the positive way to say what can be seen as a negative. This scripture says, you shall not covet. Well, let me give you a new way, a different way of saying the same thing. God says, you shall want everything I have purposed and am ready to provide to you. You see, so many times in life, we get ourselves all wounded because people keep saying, don't, 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 don't. You shall not, shall not, shall not. Let me tell you what God's saying right here. I'm raising the people up. You shall want everything that I have for you. Church, can I tell you that if we want everything that God wants for us, he will do things that we will not be able to contain our joy over. So when we covet, we do not trust God's purpose, nor his plans, nor his provision. God says, you shall want everything I have for you. Amen?